Charlie, and welcome to the podcast that's about to take your faith on a delightful and slightly unpredictable journey. That's right. It's time to dive into the world of messy antics. Now, if you've ever found yourself caught between the matzo cracker and the communion wafer, you're in for an absolute treat. We're here to chat about all things messianic and Torah, and let me tell you, it's a roller coaster of divine proportions. Think of us as your trusty guide in this biblical amusement park. We're going to explore the highs and the lows, the hollowbread wins, and the wandering in the wilderness fails. Get ready for candid conversations, guest appearance by prophets, well, maybe just their descendants, and discussions about what it's really like to walk out this whole word of Adonai. So whether you're a seasoned sukkah assembler or you're just wondering about what on earth is a mezuzah, join us for some laughter and maybe learning a little bit about this holy chaos. After all, life is messy and faith is full of antics. My next guest this week is really exciting because I have had so many talk about him and I have not personally been able to meet him until today, but I've, his name comes up in conversation actually often recently. So I'm excited. Let me just tell you a little bit about our guest. Scott is a husband to Amara Aaron, father of three sons, congregational leader, music leader, full-time practicing attorney, and he has served as an appellate judge taught college at the master's and the bachelor's level, has a doctorate of Hebrew letters from Yeshiva Torah Institute, and he is currently studying with one of my favorites, a student of Rabbi Yitzhak Shapiro, and is attending and enrolled in Yeshiva Shuvu. Welcome, Mr. Scott. How are you today? Thank you. Thank you so much. Very well. What, what is that? Tell us a little bit about your congregation. You're out in New Mexico, correct? That's correct. Uh, in central New Mexico, here in Albuquerque, and uh, we 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 gee, when did we start start congregations back? Uh, God, this was probably twelve, thirteen years ago is when we first started. Uh, we we would we would plant a little congregation, and the first one we got up and rolling with 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 another couple, and then uh, they kind of took that and 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 went their way with it, and then we started something that was a little more traditional. Um, we worked that for a while. Uh, we lost the lease on our building and we, 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 we were invited by a local well-established Messianic congregation, just come join with them. And we did that for a few years and then, uh, we really felt like it was uh, time again. And well, I, I didn't feel like it was time again, but there were people who were saying, come on, let's get something, let's start something else. I'm like, okay, here we go again. And that's where we're at now. So we have a congregation in Albuquerque called Dedek Yeshua. And, uh, it's a, it's a pretty, it's a broad spectrum. We've got, you know, your, your typical messianic age group which i call the 60 and over crowd but then we've got a ton of married couples with young kids and teenagers so we've got a good mix of uh actually there's probably as many kids in the congregation as there are adults at this point so it, it lends for a good mix you've got to have those kids in there that is so fun something's happening in new mexico i know uh dr dina die like her she's just talking about the explosion of kids in in the congregation she attends the camargos i believe they attend your uh yeah your congregation and just exciting just to see kids brought up in, in, in this whole, I'm going to call it whole Bible believing. Tell me how Yeshua came alive to you in the whole Bible, not just a new Testament believer, but actually becoming Mm. this biblical purist. Tell me, tell me how that happened. Well, uh, so I, uh, I was, I was raised in kind of a a traditional uh, church upbringing. Well, maybe it was not so traditional. It was uh, assemblies of God. So it was a little crazy. Um, 
it was interesting. But the one thing that I really appreciated, and I think I, the one thing, maybe the only thing I took from, from that upbringing was that uh, the Semites of God were, were, were Christian Zionists, at least the congregation I went to and most of the people that I congregated with and the people that I ran into in the, in the AFG, you know, structure, um, many of them were, were, were very Zionist. They were all about supporting Jewish people moving to the land. And, and uh, there's a lot of Jewish teachers here in the United States, not a lot, but there's some Jewish teachers here in the United States that, that kind of um, got off on the, on the Hebrew, on the, on the messianic trail of things and the A, A, A of G, you know, published their books and kind of helped them get started. I know Daniel Gruber is one of them and I, I really love his writings. Um, so I, that's what I took away from the upbringing was, was pretty much took that Zionist element, but my parents went to Israel in the mid eighties and this was before, you know, a lot of the, the intifadas where everything became kind of compartmentalized and now there's places you can't go. And back in those days, you could pretty much go anywhere and uh, they just went with their church group and took a tour of Israel and they came back. And um, I don't know how to explain it other than because I was about 13 or so. I was right around 13 years old at the time. And I just knew I could tell something was different in them. Something was very, things were different. They were noticeably different. I, I don't know that I could put my finger on them at the time, but I could just tell something was different. I mean, they're, the way they engage with, 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 you know, faith becoming a verb rather than a noun, those things started to change. And shortly after they came back from Israel, my mom uh, uh, told me and my brother one morning, uh, she said, listen, um, you guys get up, get showered. We're going somewhere special, get some nice clothes on. And we thought we were going to go to like an amusement park or something. Uh, but she took us on a Saturday morning to a Messianic Jewish synagogue. And uh, we went in there, and uh, I, I get greeted at the door by Eliezer Erbach. If, if if you don't know who that is, that's another conversation we can have offline. One of the most influential members of the Messianic movement, uh, certainly in the United States. Um, but uh, so I got greeted by him. He rolled up his sleeve. He showed me his his serial number from the from the from the Nazi death camps, where you know where he was when he was a young man. He was in the death camps. He was a Jewish man. He greeted us, and he's telling us more about you know synagogue and whatnot we go in there and of course the music was unlike anything i ever heard at the church i went to and the music was just banging and uh and people were dancing and there were tambourines flying and and i just turned around i just looked at my mom and i said you know mom um do you think we could not go to our church and instead we could come here and uh well that was that was my initial impression as a 13 year old like Whatever this is, and I didn't even know what this was, but whatever this is, like I'm ready to hitch my wagon to this for good. I, I, I don't, I'm not, I don't need to look anywhere else. I found whatever it is that we're all looking for. I, I recognized it at about 13, and um, and knew, and so I start. That's I started a slow journey. Obviously, when you're when you're a teenage young teenager. You know, you don't have all the resources to, to to jump full into, you know, looking and reading these things and researching these things. There was no internet back in those days. There was no cell phones. It was all back in the mid '80s, and so I did the best that I could. Um, you know, and 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 I, I after graduating from high school, I took about ten years and I, I worked as a professional musician. So I wasn't walking with the Lord during that time. Uh, I was playing in nightclubs and trying to become a, a you know a superstar and. But I kept noticing God would put Jewish people, he would make my path and their paths cross. 
And when they would see my last name, they would say, ah, you're a Yid. Or they would, you know, they would try to connect with me like I was Jewish. And I didn't know what any of that was. And so I felt kind of like, I I don't think I'm a Yid. I don't even know what a Yid is. What, you know, but after about four or five of those experiences of crossing paths with different Jewish people and they looking at kind of my last name and kind of assuming maybe I was Ashkenazi or something, I finally remember having a conversation with God and just said, I, I don't know what you're trying to do. I, I, I don't even really know what to call you. I know you're God, but I see you're trying to do something between me and the Jewish people. I don't know what that is. I don't even know what to do about it. But at this point, I will vow to you that I will yield to whatever it is. If you will guide me on the path, I, it still seemed very concealed to me. It wasn't out in the open. There's nothing that was real obvious other than the fact that I'm just going to put you crossing paths with these Jewish people. And I finally said, I'll yield whatever it is. I'll go wherever you want me to go because I see a pattern. And that's what I think started for me was patterns. And then, um, you know, of mm. course, as I got older and I learned more and, and uh, I had some wonderful teachers, some teachers that really helped me understand patterns in scripture. Dr. Holy Salewine's one of them. She's just wonderful about patterns and chiasms and all that stuff. So that's kind of where it started for me. Um, I went through a number of phases. Of course, I didn't. Where I'm at now with Dr. Yitzhak Shapira is is a, is a wonderful place to be now. I wish I would have been here, you know, 15 years ago when, when my wife and I got married and we kind of decided, okay, this is how we're going to raise our family and this is what we're going to do. And it's never easy to make that transition. You know, it's, it, it can be tough, um, but you work through it. You go through a lot of ups and downs. And eventually I just, um, you know, when I met Yitzhak Shapira, probably 2012, right before his, his uh, Return of the Kosher Pig book came out, and I met him, talked with him a little bit, went to this conference and, and questioned him a little bit. And, and then when his book came out and I read that book, I, I, I said, that's it. This faith that we're trying to, this, this verb faith, not the noun faith, the verb that this, 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 this faith we're mm. trying to live and walk out, we cannot do it separate from the Jewish people. They've been reading these these scriptures and 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 ruminating and 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 distilling these ideas and these principles in the scriptures in the original language for thirty five hundred years. What makes me think I'm going to pick it up in English and read it and get five percent of it? So I realized at that point I have got to find a rabbi like Yeshua's disciples found themselves a rabbi. They said we're going to study with this guy. We're going to learn what he obviously is, you know, is, is speaking the Hashem, he's speaking the words of God. So they, they just walked with him. They left everything and they walked with him. And so um, I've kind of tried to do that and just kind of leave it behind. I have found a, a group of Jewish believers that are just, uh, you know, Rabbi Yitzhak Shapiro, obviously, Rabbi Stephen Bernstein's another one. Uh, and there's various other people involved in, in Ahavat Hami organization and the yeshiva, uh, Yeshivat Shuvu. We're just wonderful people. Ben Burton is someone that I've kind of got to know a little bit recently, and he's got a congregation in Midland, Texas. And I'm finding more and more people that are just, they're further down the road than me. And all I want to do is grab onto their seat seat and just get drugged behind them. Cause I'm like, Oh, you guys are, you know, you're further along than me and I'm just learning so much. And, and uh, so, yeah, you know, like, like the prophet said, I looked for a Jew to grab the seat seat and said, I'm going with you. I'm going with you. Cause I know, I know you worship, you know, the God of Israel. 
That's beautiful. So we have a lot in common. I grew up also as AG and um, it's very interesting to me how many of, of uh, AG, how many believers that I come across who have jumped into the way, we'll say, and they are uh, AG. And I I have my own theory on that. I can, we can talk later, but I have my own theory on that on why. But I, part of it is, I believe that that Zionistic approach of just the love of the, of the land yeah. and the respect of the people. And uh, I believe that when your heart is open to the spirit, this, the, it, this, uh, the Holy Spirit will lead you in all truth. So if you are walking in that kind of part of your belief, I believe that you're going to be led in all truth. And like you, I said, if it's not you, God, I don't want it. Mm-hmm. I just want what's you and what's true. And, and it wasn't some video or someone proselytizing me. It was, it was literally his word coming alive in a new way. Yeah. Um, even though I memorized everything in missionettes, I still was, it was, it was the timing. It was his timing. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. So tell me in this process, it gets a little messy. Some things are a little hard. You talked about that. You just briefly touched on the edge of that. You said transition can be hard sometimes. Tell me, tell me a couple stories on how that, how you've operated through that, or or maybe something funny that's happened for you. Wow. Well, I'll start it with a joke because this will this will set the context for probably the rest of the conversation. So, I heard this joke recently, and I I thought it was funny. You'll probably think it's funny. I hope it doesn't offend anybody. I don't think it will. But um, there's a you know there's a typical born again American Christian believer who's who's going through the airport and he sees this obvious Orthodox Jew, you know, with a black suit and a white shirt and, and a kippa on and the, and the Orthodox Jew sitting over there. And, uh, you know, maybe he's winding up some tefillin. He just finished praying or something. And so the, uh, that, that Christian goes over and he sits down right next to that Jew. And, you know, it's kind of awkward when someone sits in that close to you. You don't know him. It's at an airport. He just got done praying. And this guy sits next to you and he's all bright eyed and bushy tailed and he turns to the Jew and says, what are you going to do when the Messiah returns? And it's Jesus. And the Orthodox Jew, in perfect Jewish fashion, answers the question with a question. And the Orthodox Jew turns to him and says, what are you going to do when the Messiah comes? And he's an Orthodox Jew. And I thought, hmm, yes, okay, well, I believe when Mashiach comes, um, I believe that at least one of the two Mashiachs, right, there's two, is going to be Yeshua. But I also believe that he's going to be an Orthodox Jew. And so, because when he lived here in the first century, he was obviously a Pharisaic Jew. He was in the synagogue every Shabbat. He was invited to come up and read, you know, at the Bema. Um, he, he, he kept a Sabbath day's journey, kept the halacha of his day. And so he was a Pharisaic Jew. Now he was more on the line of uh, the house of the house of Hillel than the house of Shammai. And that's, that's kind of getting into the weeds, but he followed a certain school of thought amongst the Pharisees, right? Um, so when he returns, I, I don't have any reason to believe he's not going to be any different than that. But I thought that that joke really highlighted something is that these two guys think that they're on different pages, but maybe they're not. Maybe there's yeah. a lot more that they share in common than either one of them have considered. And so it it, it helped me understand. Um, it helped me, I guess, remember that, you know, we all learn down the road. Uh, at some point that in our journey, that the Jewish people are a nation of priests to all the other nations, right? I mean, you've got the the high priest, you've got the Kohen Gadol, and then you've got the, the other priests, the Kohens, and then below them, you kind of have the Levites that kind of maintain the temple. And then below them, you've got all of Israel, the Israelites, right? Jews. And they're the, a nation of priests to all of the Goim, all the other nations. 
And so I thought to myself, hmm, well, if I want to learn how to serve God, you know, Avodat Hashem, the service of God, if I want to learn how to do that, maybe I should find someone who's a priest, a, a, the nation of priests. Maybe I should look to them. They obviously know something. If they've been awarded that position, thank God he didn't award it to me. I wouldn't, you know, I mean, I'm still learning. But <laughs> there's a group of people who Paul says God gave his oracles to. He gave his oral renderings to. And they are the ones who are uh, 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 given that responsibility to, to spread that to the nations and to interpret it and explain it to the nations, right? And so early on, one of the, the messy parts you, you talked about, when I first kind of started trying to figure out, okay, this is how I want to live. How do I find out more? I'd go to different congregations and I didn't know the difference. I didn't know the difference between a one house, a two house, a three house, a four house, a five house. I didn't know the difference between a Nephilim and a, I, I didn't know any of that stuff. And there's a lot of crazy, right? If you don't, so crazy. don't have Jews participating in whatever your congregational or theological world is, you're going to end up with crazy. For some reason, they do a really good job of kind of keeping that stuff at bay. Um, I've never been to a congregation where there's Jews where they were off into like the crazy. Um, it's because they, they understand order, right? Paul said everything's going to be done decently and in order. They understand the order, how things are supposed to uh, be done. It, it, it's based on what happened at the temple, right? So you have the whole temple service, and now it's distilled into a siddur. And so you have the siddur service in the weekly synagogue. And so you're maintaining that same order that was that was shown to Moses as a blueprint, you know, back in the desert when he was, when they were building the tabernacle. So I really felt like, Instead of trying to make this stuff up ourselves or reading the English version and saying, okay, well, we've got this. There's a lot we don't understand. Okay, circumcise your boys. Okay, on the eighth day. Okay, how? What part hmm. do you circumcise? The Bible never tells you what part of the body to circumcise. If it wasn't for Jewish oral law, we wouldn't know what part of the body to circumcise. They've carried that on in their oral tradition, which is now written down, obviously, you know, the, the, the mission and the Talmud, but their thing, okay, where, where are fringes on the corner of your garments? Okay, how? How do we tie them? What are they supposed to look like? There's a lot in there that was kind of left. Um, uh, he tells Moses, you know, slaughter these animals as, I, as, I've, as I've shown you. And then it doesn't go on to explain how you're supposed to slaughter the animals. So there were all these little details that I thought, you know, if, if we really want to understand what this is, we need to find the people who these oracles were given to because that's their job. And, and that can cause a rub, especially in the Hebrew, in, in Hebrew roots movement, there's a rub. It's tough. There's people who are taking it on, thank God, and trying to bring some, you know, some, some correction to that. But we, we can't be one new man without the Jews. Not going to happen. No. It will not happen. That was the whole purpose was for us to graft in amongst them not them come and graft in amongst us. And so that requires us to get out of our comfort zone significantly. And it's not easy to do. It, it takes a lifetime of consistently learning to cling more. I mean, the, I, the prophets talk about it, that, that we're going to come from the nations and we're going to cling to the house of Jacob. Well, that's Jews. That's nobody but Jews. And that's, that it takes some humility for us to assume that role of, okay, how do we come in to, to what they've already been doing 
And how do we come in with a servant's heart and humble and saying, we just want to worship your God and we want to learn. That's it. We're not here to be the boss. We're not here to try to say, well, we're entitled to this. No, you come in just as servants and say, what can we do? How, how can we learn? We want to learn to serve your God. And, and, and I have found in uh, relationships that I've developed over the years with lots of, lots of Orthodox Jews in Israel, rabbis in Israel, if you will go to them with that humble heart and say, we just want to learn, um, they, they are excited. They're like, wow, there's all these people from the nations that are coming out of the woodwork that want to learn the Torah. This has never happened in our history. They don't really have a mechanism set up to absorb us because this is a fairly new phenomenon. And so they're having to do some work on their end too. How do we, and now there's discussions from, you know, some, some rabbis, some pretty influential rabbis in Israel about we're looking for, we're looking for Joseph. We're looking for Joseph. And um, we've, you know, so maybe that's gone around our circles a little more in the last few years. We've kind of been saying, eh, we might be Joseph. I mean, but now they're saying we're looking for Yosef. And so it seems like there's this, we're on this trajectory, right? Where the two are going to meet at some point, you know, like the, the, the fingers on the Sistine Chapel, they're about to touch. We're really close. I don't know what the timing is going to be, but um, God's obviously doing something here. Um, and he's not, and he's doing it with Jews and he's doing it with non-Jews and he's bringing us together in a way that, we all kind of were hoping what happened, but we had no idea what it would look like or really even how to get there. And so uh, to right. me, that's, what's, that's, that's, the, that's the beauty of what's going on in our generation. However, the world doesn't want it to happen. And that's why you see this, the, 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 you know, the spirits, the evil in the world that's getting more intense because enemy, evil doesn't want this to happen. They know once this happens, once the, once the Gentiles reach their fullness and they come in and join Israel and Israel reaches its fullness, we're in the kingdom. It's over. They've lost. Game over. Mic drop. And so this scene, this to me is is kind of the climax of what we've been leading up to for many years. People who, like you said, just want to serve the Lord. Those people have always existed through time, and we're here at that time where I think we're reaching. We're really close to a very climactic moment. If you hear what's going on in the Jewish world, the buzz that's going on in the Jewish world since October seventh, and 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 the way that that. Jews are are now kind of uniting and and coming back to the Lord and this is a time like I haven't I, I can't ever remember seeing anything like this in my lifetime. I'm just glad to humble, but glad to be a part of it. Whatever little part that I love is. that you said that it's it's hum I love that you said that this is a time because you know um, you know we weren't here when the nation w reorganized. You know we weren't there when they became a nation, but now we are here for a new. A spiritual reorganization. And, and, and I want to just speak to when you said in your beginning, you started out with your joke. One of the things often someone says to me, well, they, you know, when I talk to my friends who are Jewish, they're like, well, we're, we're waiting for Messiah to come. And, and I'm saying, you do understand we're, we're all, we all believe in the same Messiah, right? Yeah. You do believe that. They're like, no, no, no. Jesus is, is our Messiah. You know what? Yeshua is, is returning. So we just, we the only difference is that we believe he's been here once. Well, well that's the difference. We'll ask is, him when he gets here, you know. I mean, that's, that's the old joke. Uh, Dennis Prager yeah, him say yeah, that. We'll I, ask him when he gets here. We we'll find out when he gets here. We'll ask him. And, and until then, I'm not going to make it a, um, a a point of division. It's no. Yes, thank you. Yes. Division, right. I mean, I don't want to divide no, it. No. 
it's not worth it. We're too close to the most awesome times that every that every generation has been waiting for. You know, this is this is beautiful. And I, and I don't and I don't try to get too off into the the scary parts of, of whatever's going to happen. I'm not interested in that because to me. Revelation, the end times, all of that isn't about the Antichrist or the beast or any of that crazy stuff. It's about Messiah coming. And I want to focus on that. Yes. And Jewish people, are, yes. are they want the Messiah to come with everything that's within them. And we want the Messiah to come with everything that's with us. We have a lot overlapping that we can work together on. Amen. That's really good. I really appreciate for you. I appreciate. And I love that you said we're grafted into them, not them grafted into us. I wrote that down because, I mean, that's really powerful. And a lot of us need to remember that uh, we, you and I talked briefly about uh, visiting the land and, and you said you would share what, one of the reasons you haven't visited the land. You want to go ahead and share that so well, far? When I talk about one of your favorite places to go and a lot of people will say Israel. So yeah. share that with us. So that, yeah, I mean, at this point we, we've had young kids for a number of years. And so we, we thought, well, we want to wait till they got a little older, but jokingly when people say, well, why haven't you been to Israel? And I, tell them, well, I'll go when I don't have to come back. Uh, when I can get a one-way ticket, uh, I'll definitely be going. In the meantime, in between now and then, will I go and come back? Uh, probably. I mean, I'd love to. Believe me, I would really love to. Um, it's tough when you're raising kids, you know what I mean? Um, but ultimately, that's kind of my thing is I'd like to be able to get a one-way ticket. I don't know what that looks I like. I think that's I don't know if that's that fantastic. Happens, but, you know, that's that 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 will be my ultimate trip. For sure I'll be on that flight or that boat, however. That's, a, um, that's amazing. I you know, I instead of going through all the questions I normally go through, I have a question I'm going to go down to the very bottom of my questions I'm going to ask you because I feel like you could really speak to this. What have you changed your mind about in the last year? In the last year. Or you can say in the last couple of years or so, but what yeah. if, what is something that you really have just changed your mind on? Um, well, I'll tell you what I've been looking at. I've been questioning some new things. Um, I've decided, well, 10 years ago, I spoke at the HRN conference in, I think it was in Florida. It was Florida. And the message I gave was, um, failure to yield, which I'm an attorney by trade. You know, I, I know how to study law. That's what I do. And failure to yield is, you know, you get a ticket if you fail to yield. And so I thought it was kind of a cute play on words. And so I brought it up and said, you know, why have we failed to yield to our Jewish brothers in so many of these areas that we're arguing about calendars and food and all this other stuff? They've already worked through this for thousands of years. Why don't we just yield? Why don't we just defer to what they say? And they said, well, we're not Jews. And I'm like, okay, but how are you going to live in the same neighborhood as Yeshua if you're not willing to, I mean, you guys aren't going to have table fellowship if you don't eat like he eats. You're not going to be able to go in the same synagogue if you just are so anti-rabbi because synagogues all, I mean, synagogues were started by the rabbis. It's a rabbinical invention. So I, I just kept thinking, and I, by the way, I never spoke at an HRN after that. I don't think it was a popular message, but um, <laughs> maybe, it, maybe, it was just, maybe it was just a decade too soon. I don't know. Um, but I've really I've really tried to to look at this and, and, and understand what Paul meant when he said one new man, that that's a motif that he's using. Just like when he uses the olive tree motif, he didn't invent that. He got that out of Jeremiah. He got that out of other parts of scripture. But this one new man is interesting because right now we have this distinction, Jew and non-Jew. And we have that right now. We have to live with that because it's not a distinction we made. That's a distinction God made. But 
I believe there will come a time, maybe after the, the thousand year messianic kingdom, where we're going to go. We all talk about, oh, we're going to go back to the garden. Eventually, we're going to go back to where we started, the garden. We'll end up in the garden, right? And we'll just be serving God like they served God in the garden. And it won't be like it is now. It'll be much different. But the goal is to get back to the garden, living on earth as God intended. That's the goal. Um, in the garden, we didn't have a distinction between Jew and Gentile, right? You had, you, you, you didn't have that. We didn't even have a distinction between male and female. Now, I don't want to get too crazy off into transgender stuff because I know that's a big thing right now. But here's what I here's what I think. I don't think that transgender is rearing its head right now by accident. I think there's a spark of holiness at the base of that, that even they realize at one point we weren't divided according to male and female. Okay? Before before Hava was removed from, from Adam, that part of him that was removed, we were united. And how would, if you could describe with one phrase what that being was that existed in the garden prior to male and female being divided, prior to Jew and Gentile being divided, which happened later, what would you call Adam? He was the one new man. So I think when Paul uses that phrase, he's pointing us back and saying, we're eventually going to get to the point where we are together and unified like Adam was in the garden when he was one. And that's an amazing mm-hmm. thing to think about. That's deep. I, I know very esoteric and probably not a lot of verses we can go to that explain it all out. But to me, if we're returning to the garden, then we are, our goal is to go back to being that one new man. And, and, and I think that, I don't know how, what that looks like. I don't know how it plays out. I don't, I'm not saying I have the answers. I have questions. But I think those questions, you know, in Judaism, it's more important to have a good question than a good answer because it's the questions that really absolutely pull. And so that that's those are some of the things I've been thinking of recently. I don't know that I've changed my mind, but they've certainly made me think in a different way about, you know, where we're going and, and what plays into this. And you know, these transgender people now, obviously, they're, they're following the counterfeit. You know, as far as we're concerned, they're following the counterfeit. They don't have you know, Hashem's interpretation of how this plays out. But I do want to have his interpretation of how it plays out. And I can see the day when there's not a distinction between male and female, if we're really going back to the one new man in the garden, who was a priest. When we're the most like him and and he's without gender. If we're the most like him, we are one new man. I don't know know what that looks like. I don't have all the answers. Me neither. I got a lot of questions. Well, I have, I know in leadership, I always say a really great leader is not one with all the answers, but one that has a lot of great questions. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. I want to do this again and let's yeah. we can jump into some more topics. Um, this has just been a fun, a fun conversation. And I'm sure there's a lot of you who are going to want to know where to find Scott. I will put a note to where you can find him on Facebook, anywhere else they can find you in your congregation. No, I, our congregation has a Facebook page. Um, I don't, I, when I served as a judge, the first thing they told us is we, we couldn't be on social media. You just, as a judge, you can't do that. People will come find you. And so that was years ago. And I never, I never got on social media. I don't, I don't prefer, and I don't like, to be honest with you, um, electronic interactions. I mean, sometimes we have to, like you and I are in different places, so we make, we make the best of it, but uh, I, I don't do a lot of stuff electronically. Um, I, we chose a long, I chose a long time ago with, with the help of my wife to avoid kind of the, 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 the conference circuit, the messianic conference circuit and traveling somewhere and schlepping books and selling DVDs and trying to do all that. And instead we, we chose the path, a much more difficult path of starting local congregations and trying to, um, 
trying to teach what we were learning and trying to just, you know, kind of stay a couple steps ahead and, and, and help people who want to learn more and, and fishing these people out of wherever they came from and trying to get them prepared so that when the kingdom comes, when Messianic kingdom arrives, when Mashiach arrives, we've got some people here that we got some sheep that are ready to go, you know? So that was a, that was a, that was a much more difficult path. It's not nearly as, um, I guess, prestigious to be a, a local congregational leader is just to be on the, on the speaking circuit. But um, I, I feel as though when you're, when you're person to person, especially weekly and you get to know people, you have to deal with those difficult issues of how to live together. You know, if you're part of an online congregation, you can hide your crazy real easy. Nobody knows you're, you're, you're crazy. Real easy. Yeah. yeah. Person right. every week, they know hiding it, you know, and you really get to deal right. with people. You get to deal. We get to deal with each other's griefs and our sorrows, but also our joys, raising kids, learning to get along, learning to do tour together. So to me, it's, it's about a person to per, it's group. It was meant to be, tour is meant to be done in a group. You can't do it on a hill up in a cave all by yourself, like a, you know, some, some, some meditation thing way up all by yourself. It's meant to do in a group. And so that's what, that's what we've chosen. So that's why that this explains why I'm not on all the social media stuff, but our congregation does have a, a Facebook page where we attempt to do, you know, have some place where people can find us electronically. I love that. That's such a great, I, I'm as much as, as much Scott, as you don't want to be called rabbi, you sure sound like a really good rabbi. So mm-hmm. we sure appreciate your, all your questions. We, I appreciate today you uh, stirring up some questions, and I pray for those of you who are listening that you uh, feel stirred, stirred to maybe you think maybe he challenged you on some of your theology that you need to just put that away and, and ask better questions. Because if you're rooting your uh, faith verb, verb, verb-driven faith uh, by your theology, I would challenge you to let that be driven instead by Messiah instead of your theology, because if it's driven by him, you're not going to be offended when someone challenges your theology. Yeah. So uh, would you mind, Scott, closing us out in prayer? Sure. Avinu Malkeinu, we love you. We're here to serve you. We're here to live lives that would bring you some happiness, that we could somehow fulfill our mission for which you sent us, to bring some repair to this world, to try and to, and, and to, to be a light, to try to do good to try to, to, to fulfill the things that you sent us down here to do. To do. You, you gave us a book full of instructions to say, do these things. And so we pray that you'd help us to understand that so we could learn those things so that we could do them, but that we wouldn't stop there. We wouldn't stop just learning and doing them ourselves, but we would reach out and try to teach others to do them as well and bring others along this path. Uh, because, Father, we, we, we want to be called greatest in the kingdom. And so we want we want to do these things and we want to teach others to do them, but we need your help in that. We don't we don't know everything we need to know and, and, and we do get it wrong. Um and for that we 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 just say, you know, we're humans and, and we'll do the best that we can, but show us your way, reveal your path to us, reveal the wonderful, marvelous things of your Torah. And please do not delay the return of your Messiah. Amen. Amen. Thank you again, Scott. We look forward to seeing you soon. And if you're visiting in Albuquerque, you want to stop by the congregation because I, I know you're going to meet some amazing people. Blessings. And that's a wrap on another Messianic adventure. My fellow spiritual adventurers, from splitting red seas of laughter to stumbling upon mana mishaps, 
we've truly experienced the full spectrum of Messianic marvels and Torah tales. Remember folks, as we navigate the sometimes bewildering, but always beautiful path of faith, it's okay to have a few loose ends along the way. Embracing the messiness of life is what makes our journey genuine and our connection with Adonai so meaningful. Before we go, let's take a moment to thank our incredible guests who shared their story, insights, and aha moments with us. And of course, a big thank you to you, our amazing listeners. Without you, we'd just be folks sitting in here with a microphone, and that's just not as fun. We'll catch up with you next time on Messy Antics, where the Torah is our compass and laughter is our guiding star. Stay joyful, stay curious, and may your days be filled with blessings that are as abundant as manna in the wilderness. And help us out by liking, subscribing, and leaving us that five-star review.